0: What's up, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Jack of All Trades, a weekly podcast for you to digest where there will always be a special guest. I am your host, Jacqueline Renee, aka Jackie Two Necklaces, Captain Jack Sparrow, GI Jackie 17, and Trapper Jacks, if you know me like that. So this week, we're going to get into the Great Migration, the movement of African Americans in the early 1900s that completely changed the experience that we have in this country. We're gonna get into what that migration looked like for our families, uh, the importance of family reunions, moving to the South and kind of creating a reverse migration in modern day, and how we seek to stay connected and stay strong as a black community across the country. So without further ado, let's get into it. This week, Jack of All Trades takes on the Great Migration. We're going to talk about the era that describes movement of African Americans in the early 1900s from the American South to the North and the West. And we'll talk about how that change affected and impacted the African American experience in the country. Uh, We're going to talk about the importance of family reunions, And even our generation making moves and kind of recreating those great migrations as we've gotten older. And we'll talk about how we seek to keep connected across the country and in some cases even abroad. So I brought a very special guest on to have this conversation with me. So let me give her a chance to introduce herself
1: hi everyone i'm antigone um some of you guys might recognize my voice if you went to fam because that's where i met jackie
0: shout out to them rattlers everybody knows (laughs) if you listen to the jack of all trades podcast you know it's gonna be some rattlers on
1: yes (laughs) we met freshman year and um do you remember what you said to me when we met (sighs) one of the first things you asked me i think i do (laughs) I believe I asked you if you
0: played the little girl in What's Love Got To Do With It if you were the young Tina
1: Turner. <laughs> and I think you didn't believe me when I told you I wasn't because I think when she got older and she was in another movie, didn't you Didn't you circle back and was like, you sure that's not you? And I'm like, I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not. It's a good movie, but it wasn't me. <laughs> you remember that? What was the movie she was in when she got older? Uh, um. I want to say it was The Preacher's Kid. Yes. Yes. yes, It was that movie. Yep. You were like, but check, look at it again, though, and see. I'm like, dog, I promise you, that is not me. Oh my gosh. I have not
0: thought about that, but as soon as you said that, I immediately went back to that moment. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yes, it is great to have you on the pod. We have not talked in so long, so it's it's I just know. good to hear from you. It is. Yes, and I'm definitely glad that you agreed to come on and have this conversation. I think it's going to be good. Hey, it's Black History Month, so you know. It is. You know, I want to have a conversation about African American experience, what we've been through, some of the great things that have happened and Never forget, you know, the bad things that happened too, right? We got to talk about all types of Black history. So yeah, the Great Migration, I feel like this is a quintessential topic Um, if you are an African-American.
1: It is. Let's get into it. I yes. want to, I want, I'm ready.
0: <laughs> all right. So first we're going to do a quick icebreaker, just a okay. little piece of Black history So I want to take a moment to recognize Mr. Lonnie Johnson, and he is the man who invented the super soaker water gun. Oh, I used to love that super soaker. Right? Like (laughs) back in the 90s, super soaker. If you had a super soaker and somebody was having a backyard party or a block party, yeah, like you were the
1: one. I remember me and my brother going up and down the streets, just playing with the neighborhood kids, just just (laughs) having super soaker wars. That was so fun.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, Lonnie Johnson was awarded $72.8 million Hasbro settlement for unpaid royalties. Uh, The super soaker was at one point the world's best selling toy. And of course, you know, they was not paying that man what they were supposed to back then. So I'm glad he won the settlement.
1: Yeah, I had no idea that it was made by a black man. Right? You know, we made all this <laughs> shit. Now,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we did. <laughs> I kid, I kid. But right, it's always cool to learn who from our community gave us in the world a, a great gift. So, yeah, shout out to you, Mr. Lonnie Johnson. Yes. All right. So, let's get into it. So the Great Migration. So I will set things up a little bit before we get into the questions. Uh watched a couple of different documentaries, uh quick history lesson type videos out there and of course checked out the Wikipedia page. And the Great Migration in a quick summary, um If we look at the landscape of African Americans in the country around 1910, 90% of black people lived in the US South. There was a black belt from Louisiana over to the Carolinas and that's where almost 4 million black people lived and less than 1 million black people lived outside of the South in other parts of the country. The Great Migration happened where a lot of these Black people moved from the South to the North and out West um, to major cities like Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, New York. Um, and then out West, they went from New Orleans to Los Angeles. Um, they were seeking better job opportunities and leaving behind sharecropping, which had become basically the one of the main ways to make money after slavery. Um, We know that a lot of black people, they knew the South, that's where they were born and raised. So they were trying to stay there and make a living on their own. But we know that the rural whites, right? Those The white people of the South that were making money off of plantation life did not make it easy. And black people quickly learned they could go from making 75 cents a day in the South to $5 a day in places like, you know, steel country up in the North. Uh, They also left because of Jim Crow and the KKK. Uh, Jim Crow being a rigid caste system that decided everything that you were able to do, everywhere you were able to go based on your race, how you looked. Um, And then the KKK was essentially their gang who reinforced all of these things um, and really drove voter suppression, created domestic terrorism, and kind of instilled you know general white supremacy amongst the land so those those were the reasons why the great migration happened um and again like i mentioned we saw huge numbers of black people move from the south where 90 percent of african americans were in the early 1900s and then into the 70s it landed at around 60% of Black people only being left in the South. And even within the South, Black people were moving from the most rural parts into the cities. So thinking of Jackson, Memphis, Atlanta, you know, versus being in the smaller outskirt towns. So with all of that kind of being said about what the Great Migration was, let's talk about our own families and what we know about how they moved around the country. So tell us about your family's migration across the country.
1: Okay, so I really only know about my mom's side because my dad was adopted. And I asked my cousin who's on that side and he's all like, uh, yeah, I don't know how we got where we went. I think my dad just got a job, but he moved like when no, you know, after the great migration, like, you know, 2000 ish. So Mm. it was, it was no, it was no migration on that side. But so my mom's side, we were from Arkansas Okay. Mm -hmm. and my, I guess he's my great grandfather. He was a minister in Arkansas and, um, let's see. Oh, what happened was he passed away. And then my grandmother, she decided to move all the kids and they moved to, um, Kansas city.
0: Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah,
1: they didn't they didn't they didn't get all the way where, you know, you said everybody was landing. They moved to Kansas City. I think and, that was a hub too.
0: That would make okay. sense, right? Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: the Midwest area. Right. Got a, north of that Mason Dixon line.
1: Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, and I remember specifically my grandfather, my mom's dad, he was like, we ain't never going to the south. Like he just cuz he heard all the stories. Yeah. And I mean, he grew up listening and seeing and hearing and it was just like we are not going to the south but then so my mom grew up in Kansas City my dad grew up in Ohio I'm not sure how they got there because um, my cousin didn't know the story but um they met in Illinois mm-hmm. and then that's kind of where I grew up but then they ended up moving back down to the south I guess we're going to talk about that later on in the session but like that is uh kind of our gr- migration and it was strictly due to like violence. You can imagine what a Mm -hmm. pastor had to deal with back in that day and what he saw. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when they were burning churches and crosses and all that stuff. I don't know the details of any of that, but I'm sure some of that happened to them. And it was just like, nope, we ain't going back. Oh yeah, 100%.
0: Um, On my dad's side, my family is also from Arkansas. Um, Yeah, my granny um, came up with her family uh, it's funny. I remember having a conversation with her. It was probably like 10 years ago. And she told me two interesting pieces of information. I remember she told me that they, when they moved up to Chicago from Arkansas, her mom wanted to enroll her in school really quickly. So they lied about her age. <laughs> <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> I remember her saying that one of her brothers wanted to go into the military. This is, you know, probably in the 40s or something, you know, they when they used to be having all the wars. And I think he was probably a year shy of being eligible. And he also <laughs> lied about his age. So he went into the military really young, but but yes, yeah, so her side is from Arkansas and moved up to Chicago. And then on my mom's side, like she keeps immaculate records on oh, Ancestry.com. Awesome. Yes, yeah, so we can go back. I think it's six generations um ahead of me and my family the oldest recorded relatives were in South Carolina and Virginia but then they somehow wound up in Mississippi but I won't say somehow because we're talking about records going back to 1840 so they wound up there probably because of slavery or because of some other hoarding of black people in Mississippi um because of jobs and plantations, right? So most of the family after that was out of Tunica, Mississippi. And then I want to say my great-grandmother, at one point she wound up in Chicago, but I really think my grandmother went before her um, after she had my mom and my great-grandmother raised my mom in Mississippi. And then my mom eventually went up to Mississippi. And I think my great-grandmother, you know, later in life, went up and my grandmother took care of her until she passed. And so like on the record, she passed in Illinois, but definitely have a lot of roots still in Mississippi, a lot of family in Memphis, and then a lot of family in Chicago. So the line is just so direct. (laughs) And it is right. It's like, wow. Like it's, it's right there. Like it's so clear. And um, yeah, it's just been kind of cool to, to also just see it like on paper and learn more about my family, like through the family tree. And obviously people live all over now, but just see how the roots, you know, started there and kind of confirm like, hey, like we were a part of this this big thing, you know, that happened over the generations.
1: You touched on something that I, I know it's kind of off topic of the Great Migration, maybe it's not, but like you said, your, somebody in your family wanted to go to the military. Mm-hmm. You know, for the longest time, I had a hard time wondering why anyone black would want to ever join the military. Yeah. And then I um I saw I saw this documentary and it was like because uh, there are a group of black people that think that the this country is ours because it was built on our backs. That's how they're looking at it. Like we built mm-hmm. it from the ground up because we were slaves and we did everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I get, I understand it now. But at the same time, I have that that side of me that's like, they treat us so bad here. Right. Right, and so like I, I it's hard for me to claim it as my own, but i I get both sides. I see both sides, and I'm just like, yeah, the the things that we have been through, right, right, And then I also kind of think about
0: how I'm sure there were some folks in the military that were that went out, went overseas and were able to come back and say, "Hey, they actually gonna treat you a little bit better over there, So even if it's only for a moment, a few years, you know, one tour of duty, if you can get out of here and go be treated like a king,
1: overseas—I mean, that's another way to look at it. I never looked at it like that. They were learning other languages mm-hmm. and, you know, yep. getting experiences. Because hey, that's a good way to look at it too, right? It so. was a reprieve from all the the stuff that was going on here,
0: right? Right. <laughs> so I mean, so yeah. Well, shout out to the black soldiers. Um, <laughs> but yes, okay. So kind of have established where families from. So there were actually two different phases of the Great Migration. The first uh, phase was 1910 through the 1930s. Then of course we know the Great Depression happened. A lot of industries were disrupted. So that kind of halted the migration. And then there was another phase um, that ended in the 1970s. So <laughs> one of the statements I read about the end of even the first migration. um, It said, it's mission over, and maybe this is the migration in general, but it says, it's mission over, the migration ended in the 1970s when the South had sufficiently changed so that African-Americans were no longer under pressure to leave and were free to live anywhere they chose.
1: Who wrote that? (laughs) I need to know. All
0: right, let's talk about that statement because even leading up to that point, everything that I read talked about how you've got folks leaving for a couple of, right, we talked about the specific reasons why they left, better jobs, better pay, and fleeing Jim Crow and the KKK, right? It it all wrongs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about it, wages probably did not change that much unless you went to the urban areas But that wasn't always possible for everybody. Like To this day, we know people that are in extreme poverty or just live in really rural areas of the country because they have not been exposed to other opportunities. And then I don't think the KKK has ever gone away. So when we- Trump. (laughs) The Klan is riding again right (laughs) so when you think about that i'm like in the 70s it ended because of sufficient changes no the only thing and I, i don't mean to trivialize it right but what happened was that the civil rights movement happened the civil rights act was passed so now there's this thought that you can go anywhere you want you can live anywhere you choose segregation had ended so now there's no need to migrate I don't think that the South had sufficiently changed and there was no pressure to leave. There were still plenty of people that knew that if they left, if they could leave, they probably would have had better opportunities elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I, I have a hard time with anything saying it was, you know, things were desegregated. Cause in my mind, they never were because you took it off the books, but look at how y'all act. Right. It was like, right. they tell us, we're gonna give you this. And then they go behind and, and say, hey, but um, we're not really gonna give it to them. We just gonna say we giving it to them. Right. So so it never ended. Um, the <laughs> migration is still, like we're still going through that now. And, and it's just, it's funny how people tell you, they write our history for us and tell right. us what happened. And like all that that you said, I can't agree with. Right. <laughs> I, I can't agree can't. with
0: it. <laughs> I can't go for it. Um, When we look at some of the results of the Great Migration, even. uh, Number one, white flight. (laughs) White people moved away when Black people came into some of the urban neighborhoods and and cities.
1: Uh, Moved away and took the finances with them because they stopped investing in the neighborhoods that we were living in, which were once the cities, like, okay, but go ahead. (laughs)
0: Exactly, right? Exactly. So there's that. And then also, we had to face more segregation that was just quieter, right? It was unofficial. We we talk about how our families lived or have lived in Chicago. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the country. It's gotta be the largest segregated city because it's third largest in the country. And I've been to New York even briefly. I've lived in LA and it's a lot more of a melting pot, <laughs> you know, yeah. throughout the cities and in general those cities are a lot blacker and browner but when you look at the total makeup of a city like chicago sometimes i do wonder like wow i'm i'm just in awe at how all of these people from mississippi came up here and made a way because they did not make it easy no like they might have found ways to get people employed so that the industrial you know revolution and all of this automation thinking of detroit right the country could get these cars get these roads built all of those things but they were not treated any better from um just a human standpoint
1: you No, know? they they denied us home loans right they they put the toxic dump sites in our neighborhoods yep. which caused health problems yep. but then want to deny us health care like it's just the whole it's that's why it's, it's so difficult to talk about um I I used to say to people back in, I think when I was in school still, and I'm like, they're like, oh, we have all these changes. I'm like, no, it kind of still feels like the Mm fifties because we have these rights. So they say, but the way that we're treated in practice is like, we don't have the rights. Right. And that's still today. Like I I could give a million examples of the way that they keep trying to races on everything that you apply for. They want to know what race you are. Why? Why does that matter? Why does that matter if I'm getting married, what race I am? right what does that have to do with getting married I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were still denying people getting married and yes you know the very near past I don't know maybe last week somewhere probably in Mississippi I don't know oh yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean because we know we do know that they are the last ones to to decide they haven't even decided yet let me go no, they haven't decided that it's wrong mm-hmm. to disenfranchised black people but once they do decide they will be the last people who have decided that it's wrong um but it was a lack of access to affordable food yep and healthy food and then like in the gas prices in in the hoods higher right. the corner stores higher right like they have never but then I, I don't know why why we're expecting them to do the right thing because you know history has shown us that they won't Right. And that's why we keep on having these movements. They are necessary right. for this reason to get, to gain the same rights that they have, we want them too. Right. And so we keep on fighting. Yes.
0: Yes. So right there was to this day so much suppression and oppression. So none of those types of statements are as true as one would like to believe that they are. <laughs> Uh, But when we look at some of the other good results coming out of the Great Migration, you know, with folks being in these new cities, we got a renaissance across all arts. Think of the Harlem Renaissance in New York with these huge, vibrant Black neighborhoods, Bronzeville in Chicago, Memphis as a whole. Um, You know, lots of concentration of amazing artists um, singers, musicians, a lot of people that really created music and art as we know it today. Um, and then a lot of new outposts like newspapers, like the Chicago Defender, churches that were established and, and were longstanding in other places outside of the South. And then just all types of community organizations trying to keep people safe, you know, in these yes. new cities. <laughs> because, again, it was not easy and it was not uh, utopia. So when we look at some of these highly urbanized areas, right, that started off with these um, organizations being established and people really getting rooted in these cities, and then kind of going into the 70s when you really think about like highly urbanized areas and a lot of black people being in those spaces, what are some of the prominent stereotypes and hardships that, you, that immediately come to mind that have had like a lasting impact into, you know, our era, like into the eighties and, and beyond.
1: I think I touched on some of them, but, um, the denial of home loans. Yep. Um, t- so you couldn't buy property, the high rent, right? High, rent is astronomical. And in certain areas for what? Cause they don't keep up the properties anyway, but they still charge you a lot. Right. Um, the the lack of they they don't put funding into the area so the streets the roles they don't keep them up the schools especially i think we were talking about earlier uh my son goes to a school that has kind of a melting pot Mm -hmm. and some of the kids can't read and i'm like how is that okay and you know what it is part of it is they have a lack of um staff they're they're short-handed with staff so it's one teacher with like I don't know 30 kids and some of them have different um educational needs yeah and there's not a support there so it's just it's it's setting us up for not success right and i mean just in the everyday life applying for jobs your name sometime was an issue that's why some black people put s instead of uh Shaniqua. they put s williams or s whatever mm-hmm. because they didn't want their full name because you know you would be x'd off yeah so I mean, there's a lot of lasting effects. Um, I can I don't I don't know a black person that can't tell you that they run into something on a daily basis that they feel like is used to try to hold them back. But right. we still rise up against it. Right. They can, we cannot be stopped. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have right. shown y'all y'all could do the worst, but we still rise. Right. Right. Uh, you know,
0: one big one that comes to mind for me um, is black exploitation. And how this era of films came about that essentially was reflecting what had become, you know, or what what they wanted to show the cities had become right now. It's into the 70s. So people, the cities have been established with all of these black faces for 20 plus years now. And now they are flooded with pimps and hoes and hustling and welfare and drug use. And to your point, a lot of those things are only able to happen because of a lack of public funding for education and like community resources. I'm very big on that. Like if you have decent schools and good after-school programs in your neighborhood, you're gonna give your kids a fighting chance. When you yeah. don't have that because you have put everybody into experimental public housing and put them on welfare and really don't give them great schools, all you're doing is putting them into a cycle of poverty. And so then we get to the 80s, and now we're even more susceptible to the crack era, which yeah. then, you know, kind of carried us into the 2000s, if we're honest about it. So a lot of those stereotypes at the moment and the hardships at the moment really started to create a thread that is still present today for sure. And it's unfortunate because it feels like at this point it should be very obvious what the problem is like again lack of funding (laughs) lack of care for these communities lack of upkeep like you said being denied home loans and and having home ownership that's a big one that becomes a huge problem so of course we still you know are facing a lot of hardship to this day because of all of these things but but like you said still we rise okay
1: you yes you reminded me of something that that happened not too long ago but recent day drama is cat williams talking about how they asked all the black comedians to get in a dress oh yeah (laughs) and 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 i mean they were doing it but i also see like why some of them were doing it because they're in their mind they're probably like at least we're showing black people on tv Mm -hmm. and then there's that other side is like but do you want to show them like that though right so right exactly (laughs) right to some of the some of the moves that we have made to like get a step forward a lot of people have they were talking about um jay-z being part ownership um of rock nation or whatever that that produces the super bowl halftime show like right, he, he yeah. was he was given input on who gets to be up there right and i was taking it for granted that the last few years have been black people because i'm thinking yeah. like it's always black people, but it hasn't always been black people, right? And and like somebody had to do something that other people criticized and thought that was maybe selling out to mm-hmm. get us that right, to where I'm sitting here thinking it's always black people at the Super Bowl, right? And so it's it's a it's a tricky balance for us because some people might call that selling out, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like a move we have to make to get us to the next step, yeah, which is unfortunate, but. right?
0: And that's a very good point. Like it's interesting at the time. You know, when Shaft was becoming super popular and Dolomite and (laughs) some of those other like old school pimp movies that everybody, you know, kind of laughs about now. Yeah. At the time, they probably did feel like this is an opportunity for me. I'm going to get on the screen. This is a fully black cast Yeah, we've got, you know, black music on the soundtrack. Some of the best, you know, old school soundtracks now. But yeah, the lasting effects, the long term effects then kind of turn into Instead of somebody wanting to be Shaft, now they want to be, like, one of those guys from New Jack City. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Like, you know, it, it kind of snowballed into something that we didn't want for the community. So, yeah. A I, think, I
1: think it's the, it's the, um, the biggest way to say I did all these things so you didn't have to. And so, like, yeah. maybe I had to do some stuff that I wasn't too, you know, all the way 100 with. But now you can do something that's better. Yeah, And so we can't, I don't, I don't all the way criticize them for the things that they del- they've they done because it's opened doors for me in some, type, and in some right. ways.
0: Yep, very true, very true. And you know what, we created, a, again, a lot of culture and a lot of personality and energy in these cities too, right? It's yeah. very easy to say, oh, there's all of these stereotypes and they put them on the screen and just in the air. But when you're in the cities, like, you know, there's nothing like being in a black city doing some black stuff. Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) when they ain't looking and we just being us. Yeah. It's fun. Yes.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh.
1: Okay. So
0: it's a bit of a segue, right? So, speaking of being in black cities, having black fun, um, what significance have family reunions played? in your extended family um, in order to keep those rooted in the South and those rooted in the North connected?
1: They were everything. Um, I remember growing up having reunions and just not really fully grasping what that meant. But all I know is everybody around here is related to me in some kind of way. Right. People are always like, hey, you!" I remember when you was. nope, I don't remember, but I mean, let's go eat. I knew it was gonna be some fried catfish. <laughs> yes. I knew. <laughs> I knew the, the music was going to be everything. I knew it was going to be some some uncles and cousins that got a little too drunk. I knew we were going to have fun. I knew we was going to have some, some card games going on, dominoes. I, it just was a great time. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, that went away for us. Right. And we haven't gotten it back together. And I miss it. Mm. Because just... For me, I like to hear people's experiences and I know everybody went through something during the pandemic. So for me, it would be everything to get that back and to hear like, what has it been like for you since we last saw each other? Right. Um, Because things were happening all over the world and they're just I think it's it's a it's a time for us to get together and be like, this is a safe space for y'all. Right. To be y'all, have fun we, um, the older generation pass down some of the things that they know to the young. Cause you know, you have people in there preaching and oh, there's yeah. some child need. that's wisdom. Right. Right. And it's also like, you know, a lot of people don't have their stuff as organized as your family does about their history. Mm-hmm. That's a way to pass on the history to the younger generation if they willing to listen. Right. So family reunions are everything. Yes. Oh my
0: gosh. Yes. So <laughs> my family On my mom's side, um, we'll be celebrating their 40th uh, family reunion this year. Uh, And that is obviously, right, family is older than 40 years old, but this will be the 40th time that we gather because I believe they, the first one was in like 81 or 82. And then, like you said, there were a couple years that went dark because of the pandemic and maybe one year they decided not to have one, but yeah, I agree. Family reunions were always everything. Family reunions are the reason that I had an appreciation and a love for the South at a young age. Even though, like you mentioned earlier, you know, having relatives that don't like going back to the South, I feel like my mom is like that. She don't really, <laughs> she don't be <laughs> trying to be down there like that. Um, and Can you, you know, blame her. Okay, right. Is what I was gonna say? Rightfully so. But you know, I really enjoyed taking that ride down to Memphis. And seeing my cousins there, getting that good barbecue and that catfish, like you said. You know. (laughs) Being around so many other cousins that were also in my same age range. And having just a full day of playing and hanging out. um, And... It, like you said, too, you know, having relatives come up to you and say, oh, you know, I'm so-and-so. Do you remember me? And I remember <laughs> when you were two years old and all that. And you're just kind of smiling and nodding. But <laughs> but you know what was really nice? Um, I was able to go to my family reunion last year. It was in Memphis. And because of Facebook and social media, there were a lot more people that I was able to identify right away. And, um, you know, that just kind of helps to get the conversation going even faster. One of my older relatives, it was so funny. I knew his name and he was like, how do you remember me? I'm like, because of Facebook. (laughs) I see you on there preaching all the time. So, yeah, it was it was just cool to see that um, social media, you know, has helped to keep us connected. But, yeah, it was really nice to be in person Uh, you made a good point. I don't think we spent a lot of time, you know, really talking about like what the pandemic was like for the family, um, which is something that, you know, we could explore in another way at another time. But I think that's a good point of just being able to catch up with people in general and see people that I hadn't seen in a long time, um, see kids have grown and and also really be grateful, you know, to see aging relatives still around. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was just really Seven great. Every year's a blessing. Exactly. Right. And I was able to put together um, a memorial PowerPoint presentation. Not a PowerPoint. Uh, yes, girl. <laughs> I'm still mad. Like, I still be trying to, like, tweak and perfect that thing to this day. But, <laughs> but or like, oh, if I would have did that a little differently, child, but whatever. Um, But yeah, it it really did kind of take us back through our entire family tree and have their dates of uh, or their the dates of death, actually. Like when did they pass away? Have a few pictures of them and and just kind of showcase who um, who we've lost in the family in every generation. So uh,
1: I think even that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Even doing that, like you gain knowledge, like, okay, I know who this person is. I know that's so and so's grandma. I know. Uh, What generation of the family I'm in, right? I know these are the brothers and sisters and then these are their kids. Uh, Just all of that general information that you don't know. You just, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I just knew that was so-and-so's daughter or this is my cousin, that's my age. But you don't realize like this person was actually their great-grandparent and that person is siblings with your great-grandparent. And this is how the family tree drills down. Like I just have a better understanding of that now. And yeah, just definitely grateful to to know my family to that degree because not everybody has that. So yeah, no, it was really cool. I
1: don't, I don't. I, one thing that I miss is it wasn't during a family reunion, but we would go visit some of our family members in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and I just remember sitting around the table. It would be me and a whole bunch of old people. Yes. and like they would just be telling their stories and I loved it and I know they're probably thinking like oh you got better stuff to do no I don't like I want to be right here mm-hmm. because y'all lived a different, a whole life outside of anything that I could ever imagine so I always like to catch up with any of my older relatives if they want to share any knowledge I'm here for it because mm-hmm. knowledge is power and I, I it's, it's probably a blessing or one of those things that everybody doesn't have to know where you come from right Right, exactly. and like I said earlier, my dad is adopted, so that that you know part right. of me don't I don't know mm-hmm. at all, and I wish I knew because that helps with, um, you know when you go to fill out a form a medical form they right. ask you for your history medically. I don't even know question mark right. we don't know what we had going on
0: <laughs> right oh man that's so true I just went it to is. the doctor recently and yeah they've got a whole family history form like who's ever had this what about this person talk about your you know anybody that has a blood relation to you and yeah that's crazy right if you have a a parent that doesn't know yeah so true oh yeah and i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about my dad's side of the family too we had family reunions when i was growing up like a handful that i can remember um they were all in chicago the ones that i went to at least and it was always a good time to, to get together with family. I feel like I've met more relatives on my dad's side outside of the family reunions though, you know, and maintain those relationships over the years because it's been a long time since we've had one. So of course my mind immediately goes to like, maybe I can work with my cousins to do one. And then it's like, girl, just relax. <laughs> I was
1: gonna ask you why, why it, it's a lot of work though. It's a lot of
0: work, right? It's a lot of work but not impossible so you know we have so many resources these days like it could start off as a virtual call like we're going to do a family zoom and then keep planning from there until we actually have you know an in-person reunion so
1: You know, this this past Juneteenth, our family and I don't know if they've been doing it, but I know this is the first time I was invited. But Mm -hmm. we did a a Zoom call on Juneteenth and we just went around and everybody gave one fact about Juneteenth and just catching up. And I thought I was like, this is
0: I like this. Yeah, it
1: is.
0: I like that. Yeah, we need to. I'm going to see if we can find a day at some point. That makes yeah. sense for the family. Okay. Put that on my laundry list of things to do in my life. Okay. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. Yes, yes, Get the family together on Zoom. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about more of like a new age migration, if you will. Let's talk about the migration of the, the younger generations, ourselves mainly, uh, moving back to the South in those typically highly urbanized areas of the South. So I'm thinking... Chicago to Atlanta or Chicago to Dallas or Houston, Detroit to Houston. Um, What have you observed even from afar might be some of the pros and cons of having folks move from these urbanized cities in the north to what is the new south with these big booming southern cities?
1: So I don't know too many people that moved from the north back to the south but I have friends like and they lived in the south and moved to these booming black cities Mm -hmm. so like I have a friend who's living in Houston and I visit her there and it's awesome she loves it okay good um she grew up in um Savannah Georgia Mm -hmm. yeah and um she's always lived in the south went to school in in the south and just has been in the south um but I think it's it's a there's some good and there's some bad. Mm-hmm. So like, I used to live around Dallas, and um, although it was a democratic city and all that, a I dot. still, yeah, a dot. A blue I dot. Still, a blue dot in a very small, yes, yeah, Surrounded I by a sea of red, from, yes. Yes, 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 you know. It's still like, I don't know if I noticed that it was booming with black people in Dallas because mm-hmm. You know, my everyday life wasn't surrounded by black people cuz I lived a little like 20 minutes from Dallas mm-hmm. and it much, very much so felt like you know, the rest of the south. Um yeah. Houston Houston is awesome if you visit in the black restaurants and go into the like you if you seek that out, you can find it and it's probably cool that way, but if you get off the the beaten path and go into the, you know, the white areas or have to go to work around white people like you're still back in the south and it's yes. And it, and you feel it. And I remember somebody telling me, uh, my uncle, he moved from Texas to Florida because he said he was done when he saw them putting flags over the bridge, some bridge in that area, in Dallas area, Trump flags and all this other stuff. <laughs> and uh, but I'm just like, you moved from Texas to Florida. So from like, one Trump country to the other. <laughs> yeah. So did, did you really get away from what you were trying to get away from right. because it is still the South. And I recently moved from the South because I'm just like, ah. Yeah. It's tough.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say same exact pros and cons in my mind. I know a lot of folks that have moved down, even briefly, some of them still there, but a lot of folks from Chicago to Dallas or Houston, um, friends from Detroit, a lot of people that We're from up north and then went to college, like went to FAMU or went to other HBCUs in the south and then stayed in the south in these larger metro areas. And I mean, the obvious pro is the job opportunities, being around a lot of other people that do look like you, because at the end of the day, it's not 90 percent anymore, but I think it's still closer to 55 percent of the black people in the country live in the south. So I know even for me, I love going to the South just because when I get there, I'm like, whoa, like, look at all these black people. I feel that. <laughs> like every time I get off the plane and, and I'm in a black city, I just immediately feel it I'm, because I'm in a place where there are so few of us. So it's nice to feel like you're surrounded by community to an extent and that there are a lot of good job opportunities. I understand moving from Texas to Florida, even from a no state income tax standpoint, you know, you get to keep a few more of your dollars in your pocket. But the con, like you said, still remains. It's the South. And as soon as you step outside of your blue dot into the Sea of Red, whether you're in Dallas or you're in a place like Tampa, Florida, where I was, you know, you can try and venture across the state and you're going to have to go into enemy territory to do so. You are. You are. You know, anytime you get on a highway to go from Dallas to Houston, you're going through a dozen, dozens of small towns that would prefer you not be there. Yeah. So, and they're more blatant about it and you know, they're gun happy. So they're more willing to do something about it. So it is frustrating because on the, on a larger scale, that's still the country in general but I do think that it's good to see that there have been a lot of people that have been able to go to the South. They enjoy their lives and their lifestyle there. They're making good money. They're doing well. We definitely see a lot of, you know, black women doing really, really well in Texas out of Houston and Dallas, which is great. Yeah. Um, I would say another con though, that (laughs) doesn't have anything to do. Well, you know, everything has something to do with white supremacy, but not directly related to white people I do think that unfortunately some of these areas have become like um, hubs for scamming and for just <laughs> oh man general you know <laughs> foolery and not really um kind of making a an honest living for yourself
1: well there's always somebody who's gonna try to make it come up because right. you know fast money easy money that they think it's very true. That's a shame, though. You, you, you got to verify before you send somebody some money to put a down payment to get your braids done. You do. Oh, yes. Right. Right. You do. You have to verify.
0: Yes. OK. And that new guy that just got to Atlanta from Chicago that you met outside of the mall, you might not want, you know, to take anything that he's giving you because the chances of it being bought with a stolen card. are high high. yeah so yeah I mean obviously not everybody is a scammer but we know scamming season uh, gets a little bit stronger every year around these parts especially
1: when we're in recessions it gets really bad people start getting creative right there was a story
0: of some folks I believe it was Houston I could be wrong but this guy and this woman that were pretending to run a funeral home And he he was pretending (laughs) to be, what is it? The undertaker or whatever the lead is. People were coming (laughs) to these funerals to see their loved ones and their bodies like were not embalmed correctly. No. Like this is not anything to play with. But like you said, if you can get away with it once and then you get away with it twice. And of course, black people uh, scamming other black people, So it's going to be that much harder for a one-off case to be taken seriously. But yeah, there were several families that were able to confirm, you know, that they were essentially scammed and duped by these people. So yeah, they getting creative in ways that they have no business.
1: Yeah, it's like they, they capitalize on your worst and you capitalize on you when you're in your worst moment of pain. That's just crazy. Right. So I had not heard that story. (laughs) Right.
0: So it's like, okay, love that, you know, people are finding opportunities, but you gotta always keep your head on a swivel regardless. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we do. Uh,
0: Yes. So what about those cities that were left behind? You know, how has this new migration left the inner cities that once thrived kind of in a, in a fragile state? I'm thinking of places like detroit parts of chicago even long ago thinking of places like east st louis you know that really used to be meaningful thriving communities for black people and now it's like you know they just look forgotten and you know
1: yeah they are forgotten it's like they took all the money everybody sucked all the resources out of it and then moved Mm -hmm. and it's kind of it's sad because people are still living there and then what are they to do like all they know is poverty and that's that's again i guess when we start fighting again and we start you know doing another movement and and those are places that are generally on the news because something really bad happens there right and it was a place that no one knew otherwise because it was so quiet and they were just struggling and then boom here we have flint water crisis right like like I didn't hear Flint before that. And I'm just like.
0: Right. People getting killed in Ferguson.
1: Yes. I hadn't heard of Ferguson before that. Mm-hmm. So it's just. It's, it's, it's going to be those areas where. You know. We still have a lot of. Fighting to do. And moving them into. You know. Closer to where we are now. 2024. Where people. Should be able to walk outside. And have just. Regular amenities. And, and not feel like they. Can't have clean water. Or don't have books at school or surprisingly there's a I, I found out there's a place around here in California it's an all-black community mm-hmm. and I was like oh that sounds cool I'm like I need to go visit that they were like it is very poor like mm-hmm. they have their schools they have stores and it's but they're happy there but they don't have any resources or they don't have any you know I don't know what the word is they but don't have like community just... advocates and no they don't they don't have a and voice just, probably. And they're content with it because it's theirs. And like they mm-hmm. don't have to rely on anybody else. Mm-hmm. But they deserve better than that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's really that. that's all that can be said. Like regardless of the financial status of the residents, because in a lot of cases we're thinking of, of children, right? A lot of these communities yeah. become um, in the extremes. They're either extremely old or extremely young. And because of that, they don't have the strongest voices at these tables when it comes to city or state, local government, whatever it is. And so then they're kind of left behind or they are vulnerable to people coming in and taking advantage. One situation I'm thinking of is up in the Chicago area, out in the south suburbs in Dalton, Illinois. They have um, a mayor. Let me find this girl's name because this one... <laughs>
1: What is she doing? Cutting up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The mayor is uh, named Tiffany Henyard. She's the mayor of Dalton and she is also over the Thornton township. And she has run into so much controversy because she has been using like the township funds to travel, apparently go to different conferences and do all of these things. But she, but first of all, some of these things like are not warranted. Like, why are you flying first class to Las Vegas for a conference for your job? Why are you, at one point, somebody said she came to Portland, Oregon. I'm like, why are you in Portland, (laughs) Oregon? For what? Um, She's essentially, and she's a younger chick, right? She's like around our age. So, on one hand, One would think, oh, it's great that, you know, the next generation is taking uh, the torch and starting to be leaders in their community, but she's just looking really funny in the light. You know, a lot of her dealings are very shady. I mean,
1: I hear you, I hear you, but like, what what do the white counterparts do? They they fly first class and um, not to say that, you know, we should be doing that at all, but I'm not going to judge her so hard because the, <laughs> you, they do it all the time it, and get away with it and- You give it to you know, the you know what? Yeah, but not only like not they do it all the time and get away with it, they do it all the time and nobody has anything to say about it. I mean, this is like, true. Yeah, that's just, oh, we'll just write it off and they're not getting prosecuted for it because they feel like they deserve to be riding in first class. I think she deserved to be in first class too. <laughs> Shoes. oh my gosh we, hey we, we used to sit in the back of the bus we could be in the front of the plane if we want to you better let that lady have that oh my
0: gosh but what if she is like not doing anything for the city you're
1: right you're right, you're right. you know it's a, it's a catch 22 because we suffer our people suffer for that
0: oh my gosh right so uh, case in point pulled up an article uh, this one's from the end of last year so even some of the city ordinances that she is upholding. So apparently she currently makes $224,000 a year as the township supervisor. But under a new ordinance, uh, she is saying that if she runs for reelection in 2025 and loses, her successor salary would drop to only $25,000 a year. If Tiffany Hinyard wins reelection, the ordinance would require her salary remain the same.
1: Oh, she wrote that.
0: (laughs) Let me go back up and see. Um, yeah, she got that ordinance passed. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, so it's, it's for me. And again, Dalton is another community that I would consider left behind, right? It's, it's yeah. at the extremes. You have a lot of older residents, you have younger residents. I will say they have the, the homeowners have done a nice job of maintaining in, in certain subdivisions and pockets where they can. Nice homes, a lot of people buying homes and renovating them. But when we look at where the town is located, it's surrounded by a couple of other towns that have been severely left behind. And, mm. you know, the South Suburbs in general, like we're saying, have it's been a little bit harder of a go, I would say, since the 09 recession, you know, let alone since the pandemic. So, I just see it as her kind of sneaking in, like, yeah, I can run yeah. this, like, yeah, I can do this, and then getting in that position and having access to funds. And like you said, why we we flying first class, we used to ride back <laughs> the bus. <laughs>
1: hey, is that not a true statement? But yeah, it's, it's it's at it's at the hands of our people, and like we're yeah. going suffer because of it. And I I think the reason why they put you in that position is so you could help. And yes. it is taking advantage. I I think sometimes people get in and they're like, whew, I done made it. So it's, and they start thinking about themselves. Right. And they forget, they forget what the goal was to, to pull us all up together. Right. And so she might've, she might've fell off of what her goal should be and was, once was, but. Right, very
0: true, right? She may have had great intentions at first, but. You know, I can't help but laugh thinking about the last time I was in the city. Um, it has to be Christmas, I guess. And riding down the highway, and once I got to the part of the highway that the city of Dalton probably owns or maintains or has to pay for to it be was maintained, bumpy. it was a bumpy ride, baby. <laughs> 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 do, 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 do. But mind right. you, I'm seeing billboards of Tiffany Hinyard on both uh, sides of the highway. Like so, you
1: saw how she spent the money. Yes. Like,
0: holler at your girl, Tiffany Henyard, as you ride through these potholes. Ciao. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hey, I think like you said, and to wrap it up, we want the best for everybody, no matter where we are, no matter what, you know, the city might have faced in the past. In this country, we should be at a place where people have a much more universal experience than what we have right now. Like, obviously, we're not all going to make the same amount of money. We don't all do the same things. But the poverty and the lack of resources and general upkeep, you know, of communities shouldn't be at risk all the time. (laughs) The way that it feels like it always is in this country. And, you know, for me, in conclusion, like, white supremacy really just did a number. Because this entire Great Migration from the 1900s post-slavery to what we experience in present day. So much of it is rooted in like white supremacy, trying to keep a, a chokehold on, on everything we got going on in this country.
1: Yeah. it And it's crazy. I know you said to wrap up, but just oh, no, how it good. started was like a group of people got together and said, I don't want them to take over us, all the slaves who are slaves of different colors. So I must divide them and we're going to, that call you white and they're not white we're gonna go against them and it's been like that since the beginning of time right and it's like that's silly right like why is that the I don't know I just I think it's silly I think we spend too much time fighting each other right well they're fighting us let me say that they're fighting us trying to keep us down with they with their foot on the top of our head right
0: and then as they're doing that, then we're fighting each other, right? It's like
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: so many battles at once. So, yeah.
1: And it shouldn't be because we, we look at all the great things that we, we've had to contribute to this world. And like without us, a lot of things wouldn't be here. Right. So appreciate us. Let us be, keep on being great because you're going to need something that comes out of our brain to invent next. So <laughs> let's just right. be, good, be good to us.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. And... Shout out and thank you to all of our ancestors and everybody that came before us that was brave enough to just hit it up a highway to a city that you had never been to before so that you could create a better life and get off of the plantation, you know, and show them that we weren't just going to completely bow down and become sharecroppers for the end of our, you know, until the end of our days. Again, I get it. It's still hard for a lot of us out here, but. I appreciate everybody, you know, that took the step to get out of Mississippi and go to Chicago or out of the Carolinas and go to New York or New Orleans and go to LA. Like we see the contributions and it's make this country what it is today. So
1: yes, we hope you're proud of us and we're trying to pass the torch on to the next generation so they can keep on carrying it. That's right. That's right. All right,
0: this has been great. So, I, yes, I appreciate you for coming on. But before we wrap up, we have to do Jukebox with Jack. So, okay.
1: wait, I, who sang, you? Saying
0: no, oh, <laughs> no. Uh, I need you to give me three artists' albums or songs that you've been listening to lately.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought she was about to start singing on the ones and twos. I was like, I wasn't prepared to get. Um, let me see what happened. You know, I've been going really hard on the gospel music. So I've been okay. on Tide Tributes. Um, Savior. That's like one of my favorite songs right now. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I've been playing really hard. Um, let me look it up because I wasn't prepared for the jukebox. <laughs> Hold on. I got to look at my playlist. Don't be ashamed of me, ancestors. But I've been listening to a lot of Nardo um, <laughs> Wick, Who Want Smoke. That's like my song right now, too. Ooh. It just gives me pump. You ain't heard it. You said Lotto? Nardo Wick. Nardo Wick, no. I don't know. Who, who wants smoke? No. Girl. I'll listen okay, after well, this though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets me like when I'm when something get on my nerves, I put that on and I just that's that's a vibe. And um the IZ brothers work to do. I don't know why. A jam. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, what what have you been listening to? Yes.
0: <laughs> so okay. I, I recently Uh, recorded and told everybody of course I've been listening to the new Beyonce songs so I'll come up off of that Uh, but right before that I created a quick little playlist uh, for a little 2000s R&B oh I
1: bet that ride
0: yeah so the top three songs on there are On the Ocean by K-John yes Don't You Forget It by Glenn Lewis who might have been later 90s (laughs) I can't remember And then Read Your Mind by Avant.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. That seemed like those were like college songs. Yeah,
0: like really early 2000s, maybe even like 99 going into 05. I think the On the Ocean came out a little bit later and I was surprised, like 2009, 2010. But yeah, those were some jams. I've always been a huge fan of Avant. Kiki White and Avant together is
1: chef's kiss everything yeah yes so yeah okay that's what I've been on so so you gotta go look up my song because it's gonna get get you a little vibe yeah okay I definitely (laughs) will well all right
0: again I thank you for coming on this has been great we'll have to definitely do it again we will yes and thanks for having me absolutely absolutely So until next time, you have a good one and take care.
1: Bye. All right. Bye.
0: And that wraps up another episode. Antigone, thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time. Really enjoyed talking about the great migration and the history of our people in this country. I loved your message around how we persevere and how we cannot be defeated. So I'm taking that attitude with me for the rest of this Black History Month and throughout the year. Thank you all for listening as always. And remember, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none, not here to be an expert, just here to have fun. Bye, guys.